You are listening to You Are Not Broken, the only podcast that combines science, medicine, and psychology to re-educate your brain and help you live your best love life. And I'm your host, board-certified female urologist, Dr. Kelly Kasperson. Hello, friends. Today, I'm so excited to have Dr. Renee Wellingstein with us. She's a double board certified doctor who's been working with women for over 20 years and due to her own personal health challenges, has stepped outside the box of conventional medicine to take a radically different approach to heal herself from the deep depths of burnout. Today, we're going to talk about stress and libido and practical tips for women. And I'm so glad she got to join us today. Thanks for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. Awesome. So tell me, start with your story. Like, how did you get to the point where we can now talk about, you know, stress and functional medicine and libido and stuff like that? I never thought I was going to be here talking about this kind of stuff because I started as most docs do. You know, I, I had that very blinders on. I'm going to medical school and, you know, it set my heart on OBGYN for a residency. And, you know, I did all that and I was a very happy OBGYN for gosh, 12, 13 years. And I had twins, boy-girl twins, which again, dream life, right? I moved to the country because I was living in a suburb of New York City. And it was a little chaotic to have my occupation and the kids and a husband who's a doctor. So we moved to the country, which was enough. It's like the icing on the cake. And then of course, what do you do when you move to the country? And you're, I was a daughter of a dairy farmer. I get the horse I'd always wanted. So I'd wanted a horse since I was a little girl. So at the age of 39, I got that horse and I fell off that horse. It's a kind of a blur when that happened. I didn't have him for long, but I fell off of him and broke my back. And I always say that's where my story began because that's really, you know, I was a woman going 150 miles an hour trying to balance it all. And I literally was stuck in bed or on a couch with a walker and a shower chair for six months. Gave me a lot of time to think. <laughs> you know, I did have that mentality for, you know, I, as I laid in the hospital for three days. They told me, oh, well, you know, you'll be back on your feet in six months. And as you probably know, we're goal achievers. Like if you give me a timeline of six months, I'm back to work on my feet. Like nothing ever happened. And when that six weeks came and I wasn't on my feet again, I started thinking, gosh, what's wrong with me? You know, there's something wrong. So that's really when my, you know, I started going through a lot of different symptoms. I'm convinced I went through the whole grieving process over the next several months grieved my old life. You know, I, when I finally got back to work six months later, I couldn't deliver anymore. I couldn't operate. And those are two of my passions with OBGYN. And it was like my whole life purpose went down the drain. You know, yes, I got to see women in the office still, but it just wasn't the same. So on top of that, I was still having pain issues, chronic pain, which is you know, I was kind of stereotyped as that chronic pain person and I didn't do well in narcotics. So thank God, because I would have been an addict right now as opposed to a functional medicine doc. But, you know, I ended up on a slew of medications to counteract side effects of some of the other prescription drugs I was on. And, you know, this continued for about a year and a half of me coming home to my husband. Not, you know, I was also starting to develop other weird symptoms. Like I couldn't get out of bed in the morning, really dragging throughout the day, lived on sugar and coffee. And essentially, aside from going to the office, like I didn't do anything but lay on the couch. So of course, now I'm feeling like a deadbeat mom, you know, talk about low libido. I had no libido, felt awful about myself. I was gaining weight, all of the things. And so I finally went to my doc because I one night in bed, my husband, I said, I just can't go on living like this. You know, I know I no longer have life purpose and I feel awful physically, mentally. And I actually thought about no longer living and I didn't have a plan. I, I wasn't that mapped out. But the fact that I even had that thought signaled to me that I needed to go 
see someone. But you know, being in the medical world, I knew what she was going to tell me she thought I had because I analyzed myself. So again, I, I did my due diligence. I went to her and she's like, ah, you know, Renee, major life change. You know, I think you have depression. And I remember sitting there saying, and I literally said to her, yeah, you know, I thought about that too, but it just doesn't feel like what depression should feel like. But I still went down that road. I just didn't know what else to do. So I took antidepressants for a total of six months. I tried two different ones because if one doesn't work, you try another one. And I really didn't know what else it could be. At this point, I thought I was crazy. I thought it was all in my head. And I still had a lot of physical symptoms. And I stumbled upon a functional medicine doc, which are docs that kind of look a little deeper. They try to get to the root cause, you know, as opposed to just prescribing the pills. And the pills weren't working. So I literally got on the phone with this woman and she did it out of a favor for me one night, nine o'clock at night, sitting on the phone. I'm at, I have my computer on my bed. And I was like, I don't even know what you do, but no one else is helping me. At this point, a lot, I personally felt like a lot of my colleagues had turned their back on me. And honestly, right in conventional medicine, like, well, you don't know what else to do. What do you like? I don't know. I can send you back to physical therapy. I flunked out of physical therapy. Like what else can they do for me? Right. So this doctor's like, well, I think, you know, you have this component of burnout from chronic stress. And, you know, again, I didn't even know for those, all those years that I was just pretty much running on adrenaline, you know, like it's just from delivery to sleepless nights to infant twins, all of the things, medical school, residency, (laughs) you know, all of it. And, you know, the culmination of that was that fall off the back, off the horse, breaking my back, halting my entire life and changing it. So it's interesting when she told me that and I started to look up the symptoms as she's on, on the phone with her. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is me to a T. Like this is everything. I was like, why didn't I know this? Like, why am I not telling patients that they have potentially this? Like it's nothing that antidepressants going to help with. And of course I didn't ask that to her, but I'm asking in my head, like why did I have all these years of education and experience, you know, on that? She's like, you know, we'll do some testing to be sure, but this is really what I think you have. And don't worry, don't need prescription meds, but you do need to do a lot of work on yourself, like clean up your diet, like start, you know, an exercise program, like for your back and work on your head, (laughs) your mindset, like all these things and obviously manage your stress. Right on the heels of that, she's like, by the way, do you want to come work with me? I want to set up an office about an hour from where you live. I'm like, what? What is this you do? So I'm Googling, you know, you asked you for help and she hired you in the same hour. That's she awesome. hired me in an office that wasn't even set up yet, but she had this idea and it happened. That was January 2014. By September 2014, I was sitting in a brand new office, board certified by December of that year. Because my thought when I took the job is, you know, how many women are out there just like me getting turned away by docs like me because I don't know what else to do and contemplating taking their life because they can't go on living like this. Like, wow, that's heavy, right? Like, (laughs) and you know, the fact that she's just in one conversation, she not only offered me a job, she validated my symptoms, which is huge. You know, so many women are, are walking out of doctor's offices and I saw them every day hanging their head, thinking they're broken, you know, because they can't be quote unquote fixed with a medication that we have. And we don't have medications for everything, right? So And, you know, the other unfortunate thing is a lot of docs, I mean, myself included, I probably got 45 minutes of education on nutrition in med school. Everything I know now I've done on my own and my fellowship training. You know, we don't really get talked about how to advise patients. I mean, in the past, how to eat well, nor do we have time. We have five minutes in the office. At least that's what I used to have. How do I really spend quality time with a woman in five minutes? It's really hard. So yeah, that's, that's my story. That's how I ended up doing what I do. Now I come from you know, women's health from a little bit of a different perspective, having the entire perspective in my mind, 
but also offering all those women that aren't helped with the conventional means get healthier and restore their libido. I love it. So how do you start unpacking for women? Because what I see, what comes up for me a lot, number one, we live in a society where a pill is the answer. Number two, we live in a society where the doctor gives you the cure. And so there's all this resistance of like, it's too much hard work to like exercise. I'm already stressed and to work on my brain and my thoughts and my mind work. I just see a lot of resistance to the work. And again, that might be like a cultural change we have to, you know, keep talking about, but how do you get, or for you, for your personal experience, how did you get to the point of like, Oh my gosh, I'm in charge of my life. To me, that's a switch or a light switch that has to happen for people. Yeah. Number one, you know, validating that my symptoms were real and, obviously it was me that had to do something about it. Because for me personally, I had failed the medications. I had gone that route and I was really honestly feeling helpless and hopeless. Like I wanted my old life back as best I could. I realized that the old way of how I was trained was not how my doctor wasn't... She wasn't going to give it to me. It was going to have to be me. And it really wasn't immediate because I was that woman. I was exhausted. I was so tired. I mean, I couldn't get out of bed in the morning. Like I was literally dragging all day. So of course, you know the steps, you know, cut down on caffeine and the added sugar and, you know, and start moving your body and start eating well. I'm telling you, I would open the fridge and there would be a salad in there, but I was like, I don't have energy to make that. I would slam the door shut and go to the cabinet and get chips because that's what I had energy to do and finish that entire bag of chips on the couch. And so for me in the beginning, it was just small baby steps of really starting to identify, you know, I think the biggest catalyst for me was identifying that I had to do it. No one was going to do it for me and that it really basics, basics, basics came down to lifestyle. Like I really little by little had to start changing how I was eating. It didn't happen overnight. I did take a couple of supplements that would... And you know, and I, I always say supplements can be like medications. Like people can rely on them for artificial energy, like a B-complex, right? And I did take that to sort of give me the energy. So I didn't have this 10th cup of coffee in the day or something to help with my stress. You know, like while I was learning how to manage my stress, like how do I identify? Where do I even start? You know? So I do think I did rely initially on on a little TLC, a little grace on myself, a little sleeping when I had to. Because I think women, we shame and guilt ourselves so well when we're not doing what we quote, quote, should, shooting ourselves, you know, what we should be doing as a wife, as a mother, as a doctor. Like I did a lot of that as a doc when I couldn't perform my, my usual tasks at work. And so I think mine were literally baby steps because the other thing I always tell women I work with, you didn't get here overnight. You're not going to get better overnight, right? 1%. I love James Clear. I have this book right here, Atomic Habits, 1% better every day, right? Like mm-hmm. just, you don't, and I think what we do as a society is say, you have to clean up all your diet and, you know, exercise and do a half hour of running every day and all these things. It's like, like you said, we are already exhausted. Like I can't do that. And so these little dietary changes I started, like I started to replace like one meal that didn't seem too hard in the morning. I started to really, like I said, be complex and starting my little engine that could would start coming and I would be able to get like one healthy lunch in and then it became more And it wasn't until May that I literally woke up one morning and it was like May 22nd of 2014. And I said, only I can actually physically move my body. Like that's the next step because I'm starting to get there, but I do think this will expedite how I feel and give me my energy. And I did. I started home workouts in my basement because I live in a small town and I still felt like everyone was talking about me. And if I went to the gym, what are they thinking? Here she is with a broken back going to the gym. Meanwhile, I'm trying to get my life back. Progress was very slow from January through May. I want to say from May forward, it got 
much faster because I just kept adding on a healthier... Again, it's usually focused on my sleep, make sure I got water. But this wasn't overnight. It was little by little that I started to do this. And going to bed, my biggest thing is if I didn't go to bed by 10, I'd get a second wind. So I really would have to discipline myself to go to bed at 9, even though that second bed, my cortisol would start going up again. And you know, try to have grace on myself on the weekends, sleep in a little bit, even though that's not what we're taught. Like We're taught keep your safe sleep schedule. I get it. But I do feel like women with burnout or men even, I deal with women. We have to have a little grace on ourselves while we're healing. And sometimes that looks like sleeping in till nine o'clock on the weekends, especially if you don't have little kids waking you up, you know? And there's a lot of other things, you know, I had to start being such a control freak and have my husband do some things. Like I realized for years, I had tried to be superwoman. I mean, part of that's our, our mindset, right? We're proving ourselves we're enough and I didn't feel worthy. So I got all, I still have all these certifications and everything. But on top of that, I had to do it all with the kids, make all the meals, the grocery shopping and such. And, you know, I didn't realize that that obviously was adding to all of it as well. So I think, you know, starting to ask my husband for help and realizing it wasn't a failure that he helped me. And it wasn't an expectation as the woman in the house to do it all. So that communication with him, communication as my kids got older, obviously is keeping me out of that burnout. <laughs> and uh, setting boundaries with others, not overextending myself. But, you know, that is always the core with, in my opinion, stress. It's like awareness of what's stressing you out and start you know, pick one thing and start working on that one thing. And if it's a big thing like a job, because the worst stressor studies have shown, you know, they had this study with mice and they would actually trap a mouse in a corner versus cut off their extremities. And the cortisol levels were higher in the mice that were trapped. So like the worst stressors in life are those that are, you feel trapped. Relationship and work are the two biggest I actually see. And I'm not saying when you're listening to this and say, okay, honey, here's the divorce papers or like I quit my job. I'm saying recognize if it's something in your relationship you can work on, obviously start taking steps towards that versus just living in that unhappy relationship and a job. If you're not happy in the job, how can we remedy that? You know, and it's different for everyone. Yeah, I was thinking, you know, trust in the process too is so important because what we get sold in our society is like six weeks to amazing abs, you know, eight yeah. weeks to a beach ready booty. And then at six weeks go by and we're like, I don't see a damn thing has changed. Right. Yeah. And, and that was for me with my fitness journey is like, you just can't stop when you, you think you should already be there. Right. But it's like trusting the process of like, I think that just having fitness in my life at some point is going to pay off, but man, it does not pay off in six weeks, eight weeks. I'd say in four months, like it's a solid year. I mean, with, for me to mm-hmm. be, Oh, this is what the fitness lifestyle is. This is what a healthy lifestyle is. And it's very slow to get there. And I think so many of us, again, we're trained for that like quick fix, which is why the supplement industry is a billion dollar industry mm-hmm. for libido, for you know weight loss, for all that stuff. Because we really want that quick fix. But this is like slow baby, step forward, step back, you know, baby, baby growth to get to the point where you're like, I think I'm actually thriving and love my life now. Yeah. So I wanted to talk to the women out there who are like, when's it going to happen? Is like, it comes, it happens like a whisper. Yeah. And mine was whispering into that one day. I just, I wasn't predicting that morning when I woke up. I'm like, oh, now I actually, I want to maybe explore exercising of some sort. But it took me solid like January through May. And I had, it was not on my radar. Like I knew that was part of a, you know, I identified myself as a healthier person, right? Referring to the book, James Clear, because I teach this a lot to my, his book concepts to a lot of my ladies, because I find that women developing 
healthier habits are, are so hard. Like I can't just have them come in working with me or my programs say, okay, start this now. It's like, okay, I can do it for 21 days, 30 days, but then I, you know, without someone helping me or supporting me or coming to see my doctor, I'm not going to continue to do it. And so, you know, I do think visualizing like, or, you know, thinking of who a healthier person, well, what would a healthier person do to get there? Right. Like you want to lose 10, 20 pounds. Well, how, what's the system to get you there? More days than not working, like doing some sort of movement, right? More days than not eating on the healthier side. I'm not saying 100%. And it's definitely if you're coming from off the couch to a marathon runner, whatever the case may be, like it's going to take maybe a year to get there. But, you know, have a plan on how you're going to get there and show up every day because every day you show up is a vote in the box of you're that person, you know? Because so many women are programmed as like, I am not, like I was just did a training on this today. Like I used to be a bodybuilder. Oh, that was a fun fact. I, after I broke my back, I went into bodybuilding, which who would have thought, right? You don't really need a strong back to be a bodybuilder. You just have to really be able to conform to a diet, do a lot of cardio, retain your muscle, and you can get eight trophies I have here. <laughs> but my point is I identified myself as a bodybuilder before I was even a bodybuilder. So I, when I had as exhausted at night after work and I had to go to the gym for two hours, I would say like, okay, I'm a bodybuilder. You know, like I already know what I'm going to do in six months when I'm on that stage, I'm going to do well. So what would she do? She'd go home and rest or she'd go to the gym. She'd go to the gym. And I'm not saying that's the healthiest lifestyle, by the way, it was not. It was for me, I kind of had to prove myself to myself that I could do it because so many people told me I couldn't. So, you know, or making the healthier choices, you know, or, or again, or going to bed hungry, which I did so many nights and I'm not condoning that. But my point is like, that's who I already saw I was. Like I was that bodybuilder already, even though I hadn't even won an award. I never stepped on stage, but that's who I wanted to be. So I actually tried to do everything. And again, this was for, this was a full year and a half after my initial change. You know, this didn't happen overnight, but I, again, I got to that point. I woke up one day and I'm like, okay, what's next? What's that next goal I want to achieve. And that was, that was the icing on the cake. And then I stepped away. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think that's such an important concept for everything of like visualizing that ideal as far as, you know, it driving your behavior when you don't want to, because you think, you know, let's say fitness people, as an example, you look at these people and you're like, oh, they must just be motivated all the time. And they're not, they just know, Hey, to be fit, this is what I do. And motivation has actually very little to do with it. But I want to take that visualization into libido too. Cause I think so many women, they want this great sex life. They want to have an amazing, you know, romantic relationship. And they're just sitting passively by waiting for like entitlement and lightning to strike them instead of being the person who, you know, involves sexuality in their life, who's curious about it, who wants to bond with their partner. Can you talk about that as far as, you know, what you see in women who have low libido and kind of what you see that them, what do they want? Well, you know, it's interesting because I rarely talk about what happens in the bedroom because I have number one, a lot of colleagues that do that. And that's the fun part. I work with a lot with women that don't even want to go near the bedroom. They want no connection, no intimacy. They don't want to be touched. Get away from me. I want nothing. And so that's where I come from with libido. Like I always say, if I get you interested enough to go in the bedroom and we could talk about what happens in there, that is icing on the cake. You know, like let's start way back. And you know what I found was foundational? And again, I, I sit in my office, my big whiteboard in front of me with all of the possible causes. Because I, I look at gut health because we break down and release our hormones through our liver, through our gut. If that's not working, big problem, right? We have a lot of external toxins that are 
challenging our female hormones, especially estrogen and making us estrogen dominant, like things that we don't normally talk about as regular docs, right? Like we just, I'm like, Oh, you're done. You're in perimenopause. You need a little, this, a little bit of that and get you through. And like, I look at things a little differently, but you know, when I'm looking at all the steps foundational to everything, and I think, and I talk to a lot of my colleagues in my holistic health world, overall health and wellness, including libido comes down to what happens in our head, our mindset. Biggest sex organ. Biggest. I mean, you can think yourself into or out of sex in no time. But, you know, for instance, if you if you don't want to see him to see you naked, you're not, you're going to like, okay, let's, you know, and he gets frisky in the afternoon. You're like, oh, no, let's wait until maybe after dark. And then you're exhausted. <laughs> so you just fall in bed, turn your back and or pretend you're sleeping. Or, you know, you don't want him to feel your, if you have roles, because that's the other biggest thing that women come to me with is concerns with their weights. I always call it my triple threat. The three things that women see me for are, Low energy, usually related to high stress, weight issues, either inability to lose or gaining, and low libido. And so when I started looking at this triple threat, I was like, wow, like where, you know, where is there an underlying link with all three of these? And it's, you know, the low energy, stressed out, like woman who's taken on the world, superwoman, all the things, not communicating her needs inside and outside the bedroom, by the way. So important. Yeah. And again, a lot of women don't feel... They feel they have to prove themselves or they're not enough or they're not worthy to ask for what they want. Again, inside and outside the bedroom. like It starts in the kitchen. You know, him or her coming through the door. Again, there's a lot of... We can get into a lot of like sometimes triggers of like what he normally does because of past actions. But if you, if you don't ask him to help you chop the onion to make the dinner or do homework with the kids or go get the little one a bath or something, they might plop on the couch and get on their phone because you didn't say what you needed. And you look like you have it all under control at that kitchen stove, you know? And so that leads to a lot of anger and resentment. And does, I don't, I've never met a woman who's angry and resentful towards her partner wanting to go willingly have sex. Yes. <laughs> She's egg, right? Yeah. So there's a lot of like, there's that, you know, that component of like, and that further contributes to her stress and her low energy. And, you know, a lot of the behavior she does because of the stress and low energy, including her eating behaviors, which was me. And I can say all this because I was a token child for this or token person for this. And then she gets some weight issues. And then that again, trickles down to her like, oh my gosh, look at me. I don't fit my clothes anymore. How, how could you love me? Don't touch me. Don't feel my roles. Don't look at me because she doesn't feel good about herself. So she's judging that, you know, herself thinking that's how her partner's judging her. When your partner sees you just as sexy as you were the day they met you. And yeah, they're pretty you. stoked still. Yeah. And you have more experience with men than I do, but I know men are much, especially in the sexual arena. I had a little bit of a four years working with men in my office. It was really, really interesting how, you know, men would come into the office with like all these symptoms, low energy and loss of muscle mass and like crying, very emotional and not motivated and gaining weight. And I'd say like, how long has this been going on? They're like a year, maybe longer why are you here today? Oh, because I don't want to have sex. And I was like, as soon as it hits the bedroom, they were in my office versus the women who would come in and you know, they would say all the other things like I'm gaining weight. I have no energy. You know, They wouldn't necessarily say the muscle tone or emotional part, but like all the other things. And I, I would actually ask them about their libido. They're like, Oh, what libido? Like that left a long time ago, mm-hmm. you know? But it just wasn't on their radar. Like there, it's just so interesting psychologically how women just, I think we just, it, number one, it's taboo. No one talks about it. But number two, they, everyone's so normal. They normalize it. It's like a rite of passage for women to have it either after having kids or in menopause or, you know, perimenopause or, 
you know, as you get older. And it's like, that's just not accepted in the, in men <laughs> versus women. It's just like, yeah, yeah, that's there. But, you know, and yeah, I would love it. But like, I have all these other things that I want to work on. And, you know, at the end of the day of trying a lot of different hormonal treatments for women in the office and throughout my careers in OB, because we didn't have much, you know, as a, and we still don't for women in the conventional world. So anytime a woman would ask, ask me in my old office, I would actually shrink in my chair like, oh God, don't talk about libido. Like I have no pill for you. Now I actually ask women about it because I really want to know like, where are we going to come at this from? But I do think, you know, it's so different for men and women. And for women, it's, it really comes down to starting up in your mind. And again, it's not, that's not sexy. I know starting in your mindset is not sexy. <laughs> but it's so important. And I, th- I think, you know, to say when doctor, the statement, it's all in your head gets a, such a bad rap. It tends to mean like, I don't believe you or it's not real, but really it's a meaningful statement in that our brain really does drive what we pursue in life. Yeah. Right. So like that sex is libido is all in your head. Yes. There's a hormonal component and there's a relationship component. It's like biopsychosocial, right? but how your view of yourself and you as a sexual being is of utmost important. And if we don't clean that up, there's nothing that's going to give you a sex drive that you want. As you ladies know, I'm obsessed with vulvar skincare to increase pleasure and decrease pain with intimacy and daily life in general. They have Reverie, which provides powerful hormone-free relief from vaginal dryness with an easy-to-use vaginal insert that renews your body's moisture for everyday comfort and intimacy. So give Bonafide a try today. No hormones and no prescription required. Free shipping and to get 20% off your first purchase when you subscribe to any of their products, go to hellobonafide.com slash notbroken and use the promo code not broken. That's hello, B-O-N-A-F-I-D-E.com slash not broken and code not broken for 20% off at checkout. When women come in complaining of low libido, and again, the research, I was like, God, they actually did research on this. It's not the woman. It's not her low libido. It's she's stressed. She's got relationship issues. She's got other health issues going on. We're calling that low libido, right? Like it's kind of like what the equation turns out to be, but you can't change that in a bell jar by itself, right? You've got to find that underlying. And that's exactly what you're talking about is like the functional lifestyle. How are you living libido and zest for sex kind of comes from getting all the other pieces aligned. Exactly, exactly. And you know, we're just conditioned. It's another symptom. Go give me a pill for that symptom. And I always say, just like everything else, the low energy, it's just another symptom that there's something else going on. And we just have to tease out because the relationship and the communication, that's a huge part of it. But I do have women coming to me saying like, I love my husband. I'm so attracted to him, but I just don't want to have sex. And that's where we kind of go a little deeper. Like, okay, relationship is good. Okay, let's move on. Right. Cause that's like, that's the easiest part. When I have a woman come to me and she's like, yeah, I, I can't stand him. And I can detect the resentment. I'm like, we have to work on that first. <laughs> or I have a woman coming on the birth control pill, which we know that lowers libido or an antidepressant. You know, obviously on the show, you don't go off them. You go check with your doctor. <laughs> But those are known reasons why a woman might have a low libido and why go digging up everything when we just address the, what's the elephant in the room, the main thing, and then we'll get to the deeper root causes. But like you said, there are a lot of other things. And it's, you know, as women, I mean, I've, I mean, they're so stressed right now. We're also stressed because of this never ending pandemic and all the things that happened with homeschooling the kids and all of the things and being stuck in a house with your partner that really certainly may or may not have brought out some relationship issues <laughs> over the last two years. But um, 
you know, there's just, I'm seeing women at all time high right now with the stress levels and the low energy and that inability to make healthier choices, even though that's, they know that they should quote unquote should do that. It's really hard. And without that, I don't want to say norm, but this is kind of like how we do it. Just like we just go to the doctor and take a pill. Like we just all start trying to do our best at eating better and like cutting down on the junk food as best we can. And, you know, now it's kind of like advertisements for the next quick meal at McDonald's and cheapest. And, you know, so that's what they go for because, you know, our brains, when they're encountered with a situation, it's like, it takes a lot of brain work to like, okay, what's going to work. And once we figure out what works, like, for me, back in the day, the chips worked. <laughs> so I wouldn't even go after a while to the fridge because I'm like, that doesn't work. I don't have my situation, my trigger. I'm hungry, but I'm tired. I'm going to go get the bag of chips that make me feel satisfied, but also to give me that nice little reward in my brain, that dopamine hit that so many of us are looking for right now because of stress levels and loneliness. A lot of people are lonely right now. So uh, we just are trying to connect with something. And sometimes it's substances or unhealthy foods. Totally. So give us some practical advice for, for that woman, for the like, I'm so stressed right now. Where do I start? And it might a big thing to unpack, you know, because there's so many things that were conditioned. So it's hard for me in a, in a podcast to say like, change your mindset. Like that's just, you know, but just recognize that that might be something that awareness, you might, right? Just awareness. Aware- yeah. I think awareness across the board when it comes to stress, your mindset, like what, you know, what's that thought that you have all day? Like unpack that. Like, is it, you know, why are you killing yourself trying to do it all? Is it you're trying to prove yourself? Does that come? And again, I, I don't want to work through childhood trauma, but a lot of it stems from things that we're proving from our childhood or, or abandonment that we have, you know, win someone's love or what have you. And, and that translates into us not having the boundaries and not communicating our needs because we feel the need to do X, Y, Z, prove ourselves worthy, lovable enough. So I think I think those are the three biggest things I see in women, those three concepts. And I mean, they're big concepts and you don't have to go exploring where they came from right now, but like just recognize it and like, why do I do that? Like, and is that true? Like, I'm sure your partner thinks you're more than enough, you know, and then start starting to, especially stress, because we're talking about stress, again, awareness around the stress, pick one stressor, like what is your biggest stressor and what are you going to start working on? Some, some are smaller stressors that you can just... I always have my four Ds in your daily to-do list because women, we put like 10 things on our list and we can really get done like three three things. But you know, what do you have to do? What can no one else do? What can you delegate? Meaning what can you give away to someone else to do? And, and ladies, I and gents, but ladies, I'm talking to you, like they can do it as well as we can. Just... <laughs> I never thought my husband could do as well as I, but he can get dinners ready, pack the lunches as well as I can. What can you delay? So what can what does not have to be done today, tomorrow? And what can you just completely get off your list? Because I think we are masters at like putting things on that really don't have to be on our list, right? That's really good advice. Yeah. So, you know, like, and that's part of the awareness of like, yes, I have way too much on my list, starting to do the four Ds every day or the night before and waking up kind of with a clear mindset of like, okay, like today's going to be manageable. I'm going to get it done. Because so many women wake up and they're like, oh, when can I go back to bed? Like, I just got to get through this day. And their minds just starts racing. And so awareness, boundaries, communication, and uh, self-care. I think what women have lost, there's so many women I, I talk to and they're like, I don't even know what I love to do anymore. And I'm yes. like, oh. And that's huge with libido too, right? Because if you can't find pleasure anywhere in life, sex is just a piece of pleasure, right? Yeah. And if you think I don't have time for pleasure, I'm, I'm not worthy of pleasure, all of that stuff. So self-care is so important in just enjoying pleasure in your life and being human. 
It's like, yeah, I have no pleasure everywhere, anywhere, but I want to desire sex and have pleasure there. It's like, no, no, no. How you experience pleasure in your life is part. And that's, you know, get kind of woo woo. But when people are like, that's it, you're a sexual person, meaning you allow pleasure, you give pleasure, you receive pleasure. And that's not just with sex. No, I agree. Yeah, I'm kind of woo-woo. So you, you're talking my talk there. Box <laughs> dismounted. But yeah, so important. Tell, talk about the role of self-love. Now, and I'm not talking about masturbation. I'm talking about like acceptance. I'm safe. I trust myself. I got me. I'm the one in charge of my life. The role of self-love in all of this wellness and being resilient towards stress and, you know, libido in there. But self-love is, is the concept. Yeah, you know, it's hard because a lot of that fear of abandonment and and being unlovable, you know, kind of translating into loving ourselves is deep-seated and deep-rooted in our bodies. Like I also know energy work and like it's stored in our reproductive organs of all things, like our lower... I won't get too... Oh, now we're going woo. Oh yeah, go woo. Well, I mean, in, in our lower energy centers, which is where our uterus and ovaries are in our vagina and our clitoris, all our pleasure organs are in our survival areas of our body. And so, you know, back if you were a child of a divorce, which I was, you know, and always had to prove either like being loved or feeling abandoned because of my parents that, you know, like you're going to have this deep seated issue in that area. So it's deep, you know, and, and kind of, but I think I had to start for me more superficial and just start doing the act of realizing that, especially back with my recovery, that I'm fully not going to recover unless I start doing things for myself, you know, including just whether that's reading a book, going for a walk, and it's not selfish, it's not shameful. I don't have to feel guilty that I'm not prioritizing, you know, I'm prioritizing my walk over spending 10 minutes with the kids when I spend like hours with my children, (laughs) you know, and I think it does start with just giving yourself grace to have 10, 20, lovely to have 30 minutes of just downtime of just doing something that brings you joy and pleasure every day because. When you're on and you're going and you're doing for everyone else, people pleasing, like want to be like trying to do it all, like it's just exhausting. And you know, at the end of the day, you're a little resentful because you're like, what did I do for myself today? Like, I couldn't even make myself a food, healthy food. I was having the bag of chips and, you know, whatever the case may be. Like, it's just this vicious cycle. And that then becomes your habit. Like, you get out of the habit of doing anything for yourself, which is where I'm seeing a lot of women right now, because that little bit of hiccup, especially those with kids. They had to bring the kids home. There was no boredom. <laughs> there was even more work on top of what they already had to do. And, you know, and the house was messier because the kids were home all day. And it's just like this never-ending cycle that any kind of self-care, self-love things that they were doing prior fell by the wayside. We thought it was going to be short-lived. It's now been two years. Things are getting back to normal. But she's now, now she's like, uh, what did I like to do? And, and where can I fit that now? Because now I've crunched so many other things in. I've left no time for... 30 minutes a day from me. Totally. And you know, I think the self-care got gets a better up because people are like, you can't just go to the spa. And it's like the intention behind it, I think is what's important, right? It's like, yep. it's not just the doing of the thing. It's knowing I'm loving myself. I'm taking care of myself. This is important to love me. So I have more love to give to everybody else. What's underneath doing that self-love than just like, well, I got to do the spa because that's the self-love checklist, right? Like... No, it's about your the intentions behind it. Like I'm as worthy of love as anybody else. So important. 
so important being present in that moment. I think that's the other thing we've lost. Like for instance, when I work with women and ask them how long symptoms have been going on, I don't know. Like they're not present in their mind or their body. Like so many women, right? We're just doing, we're just like, we're robots. We're like, we're so disconnected from our mind and our bodies. And like we, when we finally slow down for a second, we're like, oh yeah, I've had no energy for a long time now, but I've been going, going, right? Or like, you don't even know what's going on in your head as far as when we're talking about thoughts and like, you don't even, you're not even aware of them because they're so habitual and they're just on autopilot. And so I agree. I think it's just, and again, taking that shame and that it had been in the past so shameful to take any time for, you know, again, it used to be the spa going to get manicures and pedicures. And I said this a lot during the pandemic, like self-care looks different right now. It's not necessarily, you know, and that may not be for everyone, a manicure and pedicure. Someone were like, I don't want that. They would rather just have, take a bath by themselves without the kids or the dog barging in or going for a walk by themselves or going and sitting in a park or reading or people say meditate. That's not for everyone. And I love meditation. I think it's huge, but a lot of women just can't start there. They can't shut off their brains enough to sit quietly for even five minutes to, to meditate. Yeah, totally. And I love the quote of some Buddhist person and they're like, what do you do if I don't have time to meditate for 10 minutes a day? And they're like, then you meditate for 30. Exactly, exactly. And you don't <laughs> like, have time not to meditate, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, you don't have time not to meditate or to exercise or to, to whatever else it is. But yeah, I think meditation is so hard because it forces you to see your thoughts, right? And there's so much. And when we're not aware of our thoughts, we tend to think our thoughts are very true then. And like they're facts instead of just these like neurochemicals that like our brain just produces things and you can let them come and go and everything's temporary. And, you know, there's so much awareness in that, which is very powerful. But again, our thoughts about sex and our thoughts about our life, incredibly important in kind of untangling the like, why don't I like sex? Why don't I, why am I not pursuing sex? It's like, well, what's your view on sex, right? When, where did you learn that from? Exactly, exactly. And you know, a lot of women aren't talking about things in the bedroom because of how they were raised. And it's, you know, we don't talk about what happens in the bedroom or, and then no one's talking about it or they're told, you know, they look to their left or look to the right or look on social media. Everyone's having the best sex life. And like, what about me? Like, and I'm abnormal. So I'm just going to hide back and not talk about it. And, you know, I think bringing light to the situation, then bringing awareness of how you really feel about it, you know, is it something that you were, you know, is sex dirty? Like I was raised in a Catholic household and we didn't talk about those things. And it was kind of masturbation or self-pleasure and sex and orgasm. All those topics were kind of like in my mind growing up. I went to a Catholic school too. Like it was mm-hmm. dirty. Yeah. I went to, I went to a Catholic school too. I, was, I grew up Catholic and it was a, it was a sin. I, if I remember correctly, masturbation's a sin. <laughs> Like I'll yeah. have to check my check my resources on that or my references. But yeah, when you're told something's a sin, like ooh. I mean, so religion can get so ingrained in us. So we're like, we have sex to procreate and that's it. It's like, there's no, we don't do self-pleasure. We don't do, or, you know, we don't have sex for fun because that's not what we're supposed to do. And it's like, no, 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 no. There's so many benefits to sex and orgasm. And like, that's a whole nother podcast, but, and I'm sure you've done one before because, you know, this is, this is an area of your expertise as well. But, you know, I think just our thoughts about it and about ourselves and about, again, even in the bedroom, I, so many women, also, like, what are you worthy of? They don't, they don't get pleasured themselves. You know, the husband has an orgasm, they don't, and they're done. They don't ask, like they don't communicate. I'm like, this was a real story. I, I was at a, an event and the woman's very healthy sex life, but she's like, I just don't want it because like we have it every day for him, for him, but he comes and then I don't, cause it's like 10 minutes. 
it takes me longer. I'm like, okay, wait a second. That's normal, right? Why don't you just make a deal that you, you know, communicate that this is happening? Because I'm sure he did, he will not be happy with that fact. Most men aren't. And, you know, make a deal. Maybe like you come first than him. She's like, she messaged me the next day. She's like, we made that deal. It was the most amazing thing as soon as I got home last night. And it's like ever since they just communicated. It was so little. <laughs> That's amazing. Such a little fix, right? But yeah. it was like, okay, for her, it was like, we're like, we're having it. I want to go in there, but I'm just not pleasure. So I don't want to go back in there because... So her was like, oh, big red flag. Let me talk about this. Like, ladies, if you're not getting pleasured, that's a big, easy fit. Big. That's my melted ice cream quote that I say all the time is like, you can't make me like melted ice cream, right? Love yeah. ice cream. Can't, don't like the melted stuff. It's like, you have to have something worth desiring in order to desire it. Exactly. And pleasure is huge, huge. And we know in heterosexual couples that the orgasm gap is real. It's been well studied. And a lot of couples just don't realize like, hey, maybe we should just do this a little bit different. And like equality is amazing for both people to want to come to the party. Exactly, exactly. And a lot of women or men don't realize that many women don't come with vaginal stimulation or penetration. They need clitoral. And so like, I think just... Again, you know, maybe it is self-awareness and a little self-care of spending some time in the bedroom with yourself so you can actually help your partner help you. Yeah. Because <laughs> they, totally. they would really want to be come to the party as well and help you. But you know, a lot of women, again, you know, however we've been conditioned or whatever the case may be, they don't even know how what pleasures them. So they can't even communicate that. So that's huge too. But again, I just most of my ladies like we, that's like icing on the cake once we get them to the point they want to go in there rarely do I come in this contact with a woman at a party who's like, talks to me about this and says that. And I'm like, oh, that's easy. You know, and it works. I mean, that's that's like kind of the one of those ones elephant in the room. Like, of course you don't want it. You're not getting pleasured. You know, it's like in menopause, of course you're not going to want it if it hurts. Let's not make it hurt and let's see if you want it. You know, because I rarely have women in menopause. I mean, a lot of women I have worked with, their libido skyrocket in menopause. And so that's really got me got me thinking like it's not all hormonal. Like it's not this testosterone thing that I was actually conditioned to think of as a gynecologist. We're not little men, right? And so I really had to really reprogram my thinking even and looking at it from a different perspective. And, and you know, as a physician too, used to giving the quick fixes, kind of coming out of that and saying, you know what, maybe, you know, if we're in this for the long haul, we want this to stick and there's no quick fixes, what else do we have to do? So, and it's, and again, I, I always say it's complex, but not to scare women, just we're complex beings. We're much more complex than men, hormonally, psychologically. It just takes us a little bit more effort put into this to figure out what's going on. And you do not, you're not broken. You don't have to be fixed, but it is a real, if you're bothered by it, it is a problem, meaning low libido. And we just have to look a little bit deeper to figure out one or a few things are going on. Totally. And I mean, I look at it, you know, almost how you say, you know, falling off, falling off the horse was the gift of like, low libido is actually telling you, hey, what do I need to change in my life? Like, it is actually an amazing gift if you use it as an opportunity to be like, what's next in my life? Because now living this isn't how I want it to be. Mm -hmm. You know, blessing, the blessing is in the curse, I guess. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, exactly. Thank you so much for meeting with us real quick. Can you tell people where, where they can find you? Oh, I am. I have a website, drreneewallenstein.com. I am all over social media because I, like you, just want to get the message out there. And a lot of times I can't even do it, even though I spend a lot of time with my clients, more time than you can spend with patients, I know, but I get it out there as best I can on social media, just educating and uh, spreading you know, the word that low libido is not normal and there's help for it if you want 
to get helped, given all my ways online. So come check me out. I again, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube. I have a podcast all over. <laughs> all over. Awesome. Well, I'll post them in the show notes. And thanks so much for meeting with us today. Thank you.